Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Today we have Tiffany Norwood. She is an extraordinary entrepreneur, global speaker, active in so many areas, and her background is one that uh, I'm very envious of. She has an MBA from Harvard, and uh, her undergraduate is from Cornell, and she is um, an early player in the broadband industry, which is uh, a very important and uh, relevant to a lot of people in the Washington area. Uh, she is now involved in another entrepreneur act activity, uh, and I'm going to let her tell you about it. But first of all, welcome, Tiffany, to our show, The Workforce show. Thank you so much, Cindy. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm excited to uh, talk more about the power of the entrepreneurial skill set and the science of turning imagination into reality. Yeah, it's the turning of the imagination into reality that hooked me uh, with what you uh, were saying. And you're not a consultant, by the way, uh, so that listeners don't pick up the phone and try to find you and you know, ask you to consult in their startup operation. You are a person who has deep insights uh, into the, the, the life and the thinking of an entrepreneur. Uh, and so can you... Can you talk about that? I mean, how is an entrepreneur different from director of career development, for instance? <laughs> um, definitely. And I, I will say, although I'm not a consultant, I am a, a global speaker around those topical areas, and I do enjoy uh, doing that very much and sharing my story because I think, you know, as a woman, a black woman, born in the late 60s and being able to live out uh, the imagination, the things I imagined as a kid, even with all the disruption going on around me, has been very powerful for me and such a source of joy and happiness. And I love sharing that with other people to give them sort of the courage and the faith to also pursue whatever they feel are their callings, whether it's a startup or something else. Tell me one second. Let me interrupt you for a second. Can you mm-hmm. t- can you tell us? Can you share a little bit about your background or family? Because it's out of that picture of that profile that you emerged as this multifaceted, very interesting uh, woman entrepreneur. So. What is your background? How did it prepare you for what you're going to tell us about? Uh, You mean as a child? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was a child with very vivid imagination, with a very vivid imagination. Um, I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. I was also born a few months before Martin Luther King was assassinated. So as a child growing up, that played in uh, very heavily into my my narrative and things that I sort of took interest in because 
you know, we had the riots in D.C. My family and a lot of the adults around me would talk about uh, what had happened. And his dream and dreams of the future. And so, you know, in that context, and there were a lot of different, I should also mention, there were a lot of different movements taking place. So it was also, you know... The war movement and... Yeah, there, you know, there was... You know, the racial equality, there was the fight against apartheid, which was something that I played heavily on me as a child. There was the women's rights movement with Gloria Steinem. There was the Vietnam War, and I had family that fought in the Vietnam War. Um, there was the beginning of the gay rights movement. And so there was all this uh, activity around me all this change and transformation uh, of fighting. Um, And in the midst of it, I would have these uh, tremendous uh, dreams around traveling the world and inventing stuff. I was very creative. I love technology and science. And there weren't a lot of role models around that as a kid, especially those that look like me. Um, But I did have a family, like my parents, although they didn't understand all of my crazy ideas. um, (laughs) Well, neither do I. I (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people still don't even know. Like when Mm -hmm. I talk about the science of turning imagination into reality. But they were very supportive of me and my sort of individuality and my creative vision. So it made it more doable for me when I then went out into the world and, you know, what I would talk about or say that I was going to do wasn't reinforced at all in society. It was not? It was not reinforced? Is that what you said? No, like there would be exceptions, but for the most part, it was, you know, women don't do that, blacks don't do that, black women don't do that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, even just traveling the world, like, I always knew I would travel the world. Like, I felt like it was part of my destiny, and I would say that a lot of people have those types of dreams as kids, and maybe the differentiating factor for me is that throughout my whole life, I took my imagination very seriously. Hmm. And, so, uh, and I acted on it from a place of faith, even when I didn't necessarily get a lot of feedback from the present moment or the real world. Hmm. So so you emerge as a uh, butterfly ready to fly. You you were a uh, you were a creative person and it sounds beyond your years creative uh and then you you took off and you flew to Harvard, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, there was a lot of steps between uh you know me as a little child with afro puffs and Harvard. You know, there was a lot of suffering too. Um But I would say that, you know, one important, the primary important anchor for me was faith and like this sense of connection to a higher power and to other people. So even though, you know, like there was still uh, Jim Crow and my mom was from the South, so I had a sense of that, 
there were still, uh, you know, there were KKK rallies. And as a child, I was called the N-word, and it wasn't from a hip-hop re- <laughs> artist. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was in context in the scariest of possible ways. Still, I believed in the we and that we were all connected in some way through God. And so faith and like spirituality and this inherent sense of we and the power that that gave me was also something that weighed in heavily in my childhood. And I practiced against a lot. And so now when we talk about like, you know, diversity and inclusion is very politically correct, right? And so people talk about political correctness. But back when I was growing up, like, say, when I was a child in the 70s, it wasn't necessarily so. So I would be sort of the only kid in the neighborhood that had a diverse birthday party and sort of get slack from many communities for it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it would be racially diverse. It would be religiously diverse or say, for example, one of my good friends growing up was from Iran. Her family had come over from Iran and then the hostage affair took place and everyone in the neighborhood turned on her except for me. And so sounds like it sounds like something similar today, isn't it? Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I say to some of the younger people that I work with, I was like, not my first time at the rodeo. It wasn't a rodeo that I liked, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I thought it was over, Mm -hmm. but not my first time, and, you know, we'll get through this as well. But that was, like, something, and I don't, you know, I don't know where it came from, but I was always, like, diverse and inclusive, even as a child when it would, there was a high penalty for it. And I would again say that it like went back to my like strong sense of faith and spirituality and and Martin and, Luther King uh, was and Martin Luther King and, and yeah and so we shall what is it we shall have a dream and so from that you took off very yeah, good. like I have a dream, and and actually, my latest uh, spoken word piece that I do, it's called "The Power of We," and it in it references all of those uh, historical moments that were taking place when I was a child, and it ends with "I have a dream," because really, that's everything. Like that's everything when it comes to innovation, transformation, startups. Big changes, big goals. It starts with it starts with a dream. Is that what you're saying? All of this, yeah, it starts with together. a dream mm-hmm. that you hold on to through thick and thin. Mm-hmm. And that's you, and it defines who you are. I noticed that uh, as a, you're a social entrepreneur uh, as well as a traditional entrepreneur, and you mm-hmm. were a co-founder uh, of a, of an Ethiopian healthcare. Uh, organization, right? I mean, that's a, yes. a continuation of your values and your your thinking about life in general? Yes. I mean, you know, again, I'm sort of unusual, whereas my compass will be my imagination or like some sort of intuitive feel. Many times when I do these startups, even 
something like World Space XM Radio, which I was on the startup team of, you know, I have no idea specifically how I'm going to do it. Um, I won't necessarily have a lot of specific experience in, you know, wireless digital satellite radio or uh, delivering health um, care, health services to Ethiopia, but there'll be some something about it that will resonate for me personally, and then I immediately start storytelling around it to find other believers in it, in, in it and then collaborate with them to get like one or two or three steps forward, and then just keep going from there. So with, you know, World Space XM Radio, what we launched Three, we ended up launching the three satellites. The satellite over North America and the U.S. became XM Radio. Mm-hmm. But we also launched a satellite over you know Africa and the Middle East and over Asia. And we did realize that global communications network. And then for uh, Ethiopia Healthcare Network, we did you know get the services up and running and. The last time I connected with, um, there was three of us that were the officers of the 501, and one of us is still involved in it operationally. The other two of us retired from it after like 12 years, mm-hmm. um, but we've treated, we've hit over 10,000 patients, and so it all works out. It's just, you know, suffering, it takes time. But, you know, you said something uh, a little bit earlier that that intrigues me. You said that you often begin with storytelling. uh, Mm -hmm. And any of these ideas become entrepreneurial in nature, depending on the situation. But they begin with storytelling. Is that right? Can you explain that? I would say they begin with my imagination and the dream. And then the very next step, is storytelling. Can you go into more detail about storytelling? Because that's very uh, much the vogue today to know people talk about storytelling. Uh, How did you you work it and how did it help you? Well, you know, we live in a narrative-based reality. So unless if you can describe it in some way through words, pictures, or video, um, it doesn't exist. Right? You have to be able to describe it and name it in order for something to exist. And that's the same thing with startups or any idea. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, and this is something that started as a kid just because that was my greatest tool, you know, was to start talking about it as all kids do. Yeah. Right? Um, and I realized that the better I could describe what I was imagining and, uh, you know, what, you know, like why it was important, how it was going to have value, like how I was going to get it done, what it was going to mean if I got it done, the more likely I was uh, going to be able to get people to help me and then be able to get it done. Like you can never do it alone, period. Period, right. Uh, I totally agree with you. So every business has its own story, uh, and and in your mind, you t- you tell the story of the future of this business uh, before it becomes a reality, right? Yes. Yeah, so, say for example, 
let's go back to like you had fast forwarded to Cornell and Harvard and a few minutes ago. And even for that, the storytelling was important for manifesting the dreams around it. So, and especially for Cornell. So I matriculated um, Cornell University College of Engineering declared electrical engineering major because then you had to apply uh, to a college and a major in 19, in the fall of 1985. And when I was uh, applying and, you know, talking about, you know, I wanted to do electrical engineering and, you know, computer science and I wanted to go to Cornell and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, in the 80s as a woman and decoding and and I was already coding, right, uh, on my own. Um, that was. Were you a prodigy, by the way? I don't know if I was a prodigy. I just, you know, if you, it goes to the 10,000 hours. Like, if you spend your time on things that are interesting to you, in the beginning you can't do it, but eventually you can. Yes, So yes. I wasn't hanging out at, like, football games and the par- after parties very mm-hmm. much. I was more into this stuff and uh, going to the Bayou and seeing uh, in 930 Club for music. Like, I was big into music and tech. Okay. Uh, um, But, yeah, so, you know, I was speaking to people about this goal of going to electrical engineering and, you know, it was taken seriously, but not as seriously because I would get a lot of well you should also apply here and just in case you don't get in are you sure you want to do that and what about blah 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 right and what I did to up my story the impact of my story I decided I'm only going to apply to Cornell I'm only going to apply to the College of Engineering and I'm only going to apply to the major of electrical engineering so then when I started talking to people about it Right, like in high school, my counselor and other, you know, people at the library or wherever you go, right? And they would give me the um, sort of say, "Are you sure you're going to do that?" And da da da. And I don't know if that's what you do. If my response is, "I wanted this is all I want to do. It's the only place I'm going to apply to. It's the only major I'm going to apply to. Can you give me some advice or some help?" Well, people take you a lot more seriously. Like your storytelling has gone up quite a few notches. Even if they think you're crazy, mm-hmm. they're like, well, I don't know if I can curse on this radio show, but I noticed. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> That's the response. He edited out. Yeah. They're, you know, they're like, okay, well, if that's what you're going to do, then, you know, you should look you know, at this, or speak to so-and-so, or blah, 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 right? Mm. Like, I just, the the amount of advice and the quality of it went up tremendously when the language of conviction went up tremendously in my storytelling. Uh, so it, it's, it translates into something that we know intuitively and we've heard uh, frequently, and that is you are what you believe you are. And you, uh, so, so telling the story of what you believe helped you live that story. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, uh, it worked, you know, it worked for you. It's, you know, marvelous. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, everybody who's listening should be aware that uh, that that really works. Yeah, and I'll also say, I mean, this is my nearly 50-year-old self speaking, right? <laughs> 50, so so you, you went to college in 85, I see. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, you know, but I will say that you practice up to it, right? It goes to the fake it till you make it. Because maybe the first few times that I said that to people, you know, I my voice was shaking or wavering or I might have been like, um, or, you know, <laughs> you know, but then you get better at it. Right. And so the whole point is that you just keep practicing and practicing and practicing what you want, right? And what you believe in until you get really good at it. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, I know quite a few people that applied to other business schools. Like, so if we fast forward to Harvard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also did the same thing with Harvard because I thought, oh, it worked really well with Cornell. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Why not try Harvard, right? <laughs> yeah. um, because that was the only school I wanted to go to if I was going to spend that sort of money on an MBA. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, by that point, I'm in my 20s, and I, it had become very clear to me, you go after what you want wholeheartedly. And so in that example with Harvard, I know a few people who apply to other business schools, top business schools, so they're not bad business schools, but the problem is that they had really wanted to go to Harvard Business School. And this is the kicker, right? Like with one of the people, because this would come up, they would bring it up often. And um, and it turns out they never applied. They wanted to go there, but they never applied? Why is that? They didn't think they would get in or da-da-da. Mm. And they, super smart, mm. like super, you know, accomplished. Like they're, you know, at both Cornell and Harvard, there was, a huge diversity of people as far as GPAs and accomplishments and, you know, background and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the person was asking me, you know, do you, uh, you know, do you think I would have gotten in given my academic know, background, academic and, my, background yeah. and my work experience and blah, blah, blah. And I said, the only thing that uh, differentiates you from the people that went there that they applied, yes, you are be- you you are better than quite a few of them, and you are worse than quite a few of them. You know what I mean? Like, right, but you won't know until until you <laughs> yeah. apply, right? Well, so my nephew, I have to tell you, they, is that they felt enough of whatever they had dreamed of to take action against it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's. The, the main thing you know just just to uh to enhance and reinforce what you've just said about believing in yourself and telling the story my nephew uh always wanted to go to harvard uh, b school business school and mm-hmm. as you know that's all he ever talked about and i never thought he would get in but he did <laughs> and, <laughs> 
<laughs> and that, and he's he's now working in New York uh, as a successful uh, on, uh, well he's a finance person so you know whatever uh, so that so it's true and, and but but he but I I think about him and his sister and um, and I couldn't I couldn't help but thinking he was encouraged from a young age to think to be to be the master of his destiny. Uh, and as compared to to the women and and you experience it too as a black woman uh you had a lot of obstacles to to overcome in order to believe that of yourself right yeah so come on <laughs> yeah so there more than you can imagine and you know i like to say suffering is a price to pay patience a virtue and winning the best response. <laughs> so it got to a point where I was like, oh, I could use my creative power to be fighting all of this stuff coming at me, or I could use it to quote unquote win, as in raise the money for the satellite, get the first become who, who you could become rather than wasting your time with yeah. things you had no control over. We're sorry, Tiffany. We are about out of time, and this is getting, we're really getting going here. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm, I have thousands of questions I need to ask you, but uh, I'll save that for later. But for now, to, to wrap up, can you give some pearls of wisdom to uh, the entrepreneur out there, uh, the uh, the black woman, the woman, the man who doesn't have a lot of self-esteem, can you give some advice so they can unravel or unstick themselves? You know, my parting ad- uh, sort of message would be that we all have a magic wand, And it's just uh, recognizing that we do and using it, that anything is doable with uh, the we, you know, and and other people showing up to help you sort of at the right moment, at the right time, in the right way. It could be investors or customers or mentors or co-founders, you know, if we're thinking about in the context of the entrepreneur. And that your role is to do something, like do faith. Like you you might not even know those people yet, but there's. I have found in my own life, even with my, you know, very conventional degrees, that the most powerful resource for me has been other people, even other people that when I started the journey of a startup or some sort of big goal, weren't yet in my life and taking that first step of action. Um, and many times, as I said, during the show through storytelling, like at the very least I could start talking about someone and I do it everywhere. Like I'll be in a grocery store, subway station at the airport, not just in meetings or, or, or conferences, like I really believe in the power of serendipity. It has come up in a lot of tremendous ways for me. And actually thinking through it, every single startup, like serendipity was a key ingredient. And it was like initiated through random storytelling. 
And so to know that whatever your big goal or dream is, like don't worry so much about your skill set or your resources or you knowing how to get from A to B to C to the final destination. Instead, you know, focus on is this something I really believe in? Can it be of value to the market? Let me start talking about it to others and see, you know, who else is attracted to it and if they can get me a few steps forward. All right. You want to ask her a question? Sure. Okay, go ahead. Hi, Tiffany. Uh, this is Zafate. Hi. I just have one question. So listening to your story and and all the many things that you do, how do you find time to do all these things? <laughs> like, and, and uh, how many things do you work on as far as like, uh, like projects wise? And like, how do you organize your, your, your day? <sighs> so I'll <laughs> say this, um, the straight line only exists in the past. Okay. So when you're in the middle of the startup, especially, and it's like the first three to five years, so it's not like the movies, there's no like one year gone public, you're all good, right? (laughs) It's like, that's why you have to really be into what you're doing because you're going to have to slog for like three to five years. It's it's very chaotic. Mm -hmm. You have to prepare for the, the chaos, so... I've always been very physically active. Now it's uh, predominantly yoga for the past 15 years. But when, you know, I did crew, I did, you know, just a lot of stuff. Like I always stayed physically active no matter what. Um, Like spirituality played a strong point. So meditation, praying, um, and then like nutrition as well, because it's, it's like you're spinning around and then you hit a milestone, like say you raise money, spinning around, you know, the product release, spinning around, customers, you know, and then you hit these milestones, but it's pretty much like fear, anxiety, panic, chaos, milestones. <laughs> fear, anxiety. <laughs> and then people like me, and I've been guilty of it when I was younger, so I'm trying to be more open about it now because there's a whole startup community whereas when I was younger like entrepreneurship wasn't cool it Mm. wasn't a valid career path and so it was also easier just for me to like people just wanted to hear about the milestones they didn't care about the other stuff because they weren't planning to do a startup themselves do you know what I mean yeah but people like me in the past have been guilty of turning around right Mm -hmm. and then telling the story of the milestones as a straight line, which is why I say the straight line only exists in the past, and leaving out all the chaos, right? Yeah. So first off, no, it's really chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) And it will be. It's like having a child. And is there any person in the world that can make the first few years like all logistically perfect? You know what I mean? Like, it's just not doable. Like, there's going to be late nights, there's going to be throw-ups, there's going to be ear infections. Like, good luck trying to have that all mapped out and planned and know exactly what's coming, right? 
So it's sort of like that. And, and what you do is sort of prepare yourself like physically, emotionally, spiritually, like an athlete. Yeah. To be able to sustain it. Do you have children, Tiffany? Do, do you have children? No, I don't have children. But you I have nine historian. godchildren. Oh <laughs> and I have nine as... godchildren, so uh. that's why. That's how I know the experience yes. of it. Yeah. Um, and the the youngest is eight, and the oldest is twenty six. Oh wow! And so, yeah, I've been through it a few cycles, but luckily, like I can also have them go back home to their parents, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what they all say. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. Well, Tiffany. Uh, this has been great. I, I appreciate your time very, very much. And uh, and will I see you or I hear hear about your great uh, accomplishments on the paper anytime soon? Um, who knows? I am doing a a speech at the museum on April twenty second. Ah, um, at the museum. So, yes, yeah, at the museum in DC. I don't do DC as often, so. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe from that and then otherwise I'm going to be overseas quite a bit. I'm actually going to do a keynote in Tanzania and I'm really excited because I haven't been there. I haven't been back to anywhere in Africa for nearly 20 years. And so it's going to be great to go back and bring, like it's a tech conference. It's their second annual tech conference in the country and they're trying to make, you know, attract the region uh-huh. there so that this generation like you know is on top of it so it's pretty exciting for them oh. and very exciting for me too well i'll i'll try to catch you in the museum uh sector but in the meantime the best of luck to you and keep telling your stories i mean you're a great storyteller and and uh, I'll buy one. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Thank you. And congratulations on getting the radio show started. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the first thing. And so the uh, the uh, work, the virtual uh, job fairs, the virtual events are coming along, too. We are close to uh, having our first customer. So uh, wish awesome. me luck. And uh, I, I've, I've been trying, but I don't have an engineering degree, so it's just me and the the pavement. So uh, good luck, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Take okay. care. You'll do. Bye to you both. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.